my experience with depression was mostly during my junior year of high school. At first, the physicality behind it was more of like this weight that like constantly held me down. But then it eventually turned into more of this numbness where like it wasn't technically feeling as much emotion, rather just the lack of. I just eventually started to close myself off from friends and family, see me sitting in my room all alone. But then as I went out less, I felt like I wasn't looking for an invitation as much. So then it was just kind of like, oh, people don't want to hang out with me. I'm an artist and I love my art nowadays, but as I dealt with my struggles with depression, it just felt like I wasn't up to do anything, including the thing I loved. And even when I I did create, it felt like it was not up to my standards and it kind of take away my motivation because I felt like I wasn't really getting anywhere with anything. So what's the point of doing it in the first place if I'm not making any progress? It just got increasingly worse. Welcome to Dear Anxiety. Today's topic is depression, and you just heard a teen's view of depression. This is the show about mental health. It's about how we relate to our thoughts and feelings. And and of course, it's very powerful. We have kids talk about our topics at the beginning and the end of the show. And the reason why we do that is because when it comes to mental health, we're all children. No one knows anything. There are no pure experts. Well, we have one coming up shortly, my partner, Rini Jane. She's coming along shortly, and she is an expert. But I'm saying we're all on this exploration together about how to be well in life, how to live well. And this has to do with our mental health. We know what physical fitness is. We do not know what mental fitness or emotional fitness is. And that's what we're going to talk about today. As I say, we're talking about depression. And it's an epidemic. It's a very serious topic. It's a topic that Rini and I both relate to personally. It's a very powerful subject. We're going to learn some skills, how to deal with our depression differently, how to talk to depression, how to relate to it, and how to have tools that can help us move through it, and how parents can help their children. That's what we're going to do today on Dear Anxiety. Right now, my co-host, my partner, is the founder of GoZen, which is an incredible company that teaches resilience skills to kids and parents through animation and through other creative means. It's an incredible company. She's fantastic. She holds a master's in applied positive psychology. She studied with the father of applied positive psychology, Marty Seligman, University of Pennsylvania. Rini Jane, you are here. Welcome. I am here. Thank you, Ed. You always introduce me in such a nice and kind way. And I don't get to do that for you. And I want to tell you guys a little bit about Ed because he always says, now we have our expert here and thank goodness we have our expert. But as you guys all know, if you've been listening to this podcast, we are both experts and we are both a work in progress and we are both completely human. And one thing that I love about Ed is anytime I have ever been in a room with Ed, anytime I've ever worked with Ed, he is a natural 
healer. Now, he always comes on. And one beautiful thing about Ed is, is that he shares his vulnerabilities with us. So he will talk about what's going on in his life or experiences that he's had in the past. But I hope you guys know that this is a person that I would go to when I was in trouble because Ed is an incredible listener. He is an active, mindful listener. He's incredibly intuitive, empathic, kind, loving, and compassionate. And I'm honored to be doing this show with him. So I don't get a chance to introduce you. So I just wanted to say that, Ed. I only wish that that person was here. Um, no, I, I, and now we have Ed, this other Ed. <laughs> yes, I'm the other guy. That's very, very kind. And I have recorded all of that and I'm putting it on a loop and sending it to my wife. Yes, immediately, please do that. immediately, Im- immediately, <laughs> if not sooner. That's very kind of you. And you said something really important. You said all of those things is that we're a work in progress because we're all that way, right? We're all experts. We're all children. We're all fully human. And we're all experiencing it at the same time. And that's the thing about people. And that's what we talk about in the show is how to access the different parts of yourself so that you can make choices about how you deal with your thoughts and feelings and, and therefore your, your well-being, right? Absolutely. We all have these higher selves, right? We all have these best versions of ourselves that sometimes come out and that we hope we are able to access in moments of challenge. But yeah, we're works in progress. A lot of times I will go to speak at a school or I will be doing some kind of masterclass or seminar and people will make an assumption because I've researched this stuff and I live and breathe it that I'm able to execute it in my home life all the time. I am a wife. I have a five and six year old and completely human. I make mistakes all the time. And I'm consistently trying to learn from my own teachings and really walk the talk and talk the walk. But yeah, we're vulnerable. We're human. And we just get up every day and keep trying. And I guess that's a part of mental health and emotional and well-being, emotional fitness, social emotional learning, all of these things, resilience, is that there's no finish line for this. There's no, now I can go on automatic pilot. Now everything's fine. Because it's not about everything being fine. It's about the choices that I make in every moment from moment to moment and how you live your life. I think that what you're saying is so incredibly important. Like, can I just stop practicing these practices of well-being? So I've recently been interviewing all of these experts from around the world in the field of positive psychology, in the fields of neuroscience, coming from mindfulness, really because I am seeking out as much knowledge as possible and as many tools as possible to share with as many people and parents as possible about raising engaged, resilient kids that will flourish they'll flourish as they grow and doing the same for us. And one interesting thing is that I recently interviewed Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar. He is a person that taught two of the most popular classes in Harvard's history. And one of them was on positive psychology, where he would get thousands of kids signing up for this class. And I said to him, in all of your teachings and everything that you've learned, what's one of the biggest things that concerns you? And he said, sustaining change. And I said, yes, I think about that all the time. Well, yeah, we know that practicing gratitude is really important for your brain and can really change your life, right? And change your negativity bias and paying attention to the negative things and kind of shift that to a more positive mindset. But, you know, it's kind of like knowing that you should exercise for your body. Just knowing what's good for you doesn't mean you're going to do it. So what is the key to sustaining change? And he said that he uses the three R's 
which is reminder, repetition, and ritual. So those three things basically create lifestyle, create habits in your life, automated habits in your life. So practicing gratitude, savoring, and these kind of rituals that are coming out of the science of positive psychology for your well-being really become part of your life. And he says he has to do it too, and that it's work. It takes effort. It does take effort. The thing is that we got to cross wired though a little bit. We think that the way that we live doesn't take effort. We think that the natural way that we do things doesn't take effort. The thing is, it's much harder to live that way than it is to practice rituals that help you to feel better. The other thing is community. Whether we're not connected to our higher selves or our authentic selves, what's happened in the culture is that we're not connected to community. We're not connected to an extended family. So we're kind of out on our own and we're isolated. And that, to me, is one of the biggest reasons that people are having all these mental health issues. We're social beings by nature. We're wired to be with other people and around other people, which really segues into our conversation about depression. Because I think, Ed, as you said earlier, both you and I have experienced depressive episodes in our life. And what's the one thing that happens when you're depressed? Do you feel like being around other people? Completely cut off, completely isolated. And it tells you to isolate yourself. It also tells you, you know, these are the things that depression tells you. We're going to talk about how you talk back to depression, how you speak to depression. But what depression says is don't feel anything, don't move, don't connect with other people. You're not okay. You're not enough. You're defective in some way. Something's really wrong with you. You're not ready to go out into the world. You're not ready to connect with other people. So just stay here in bed or stay here in your house and stay isolated. Don't call anybody. Don't talk to anybody about it. This is depression talking. This is what it says. And then we listen to it. We listen to it because we don't connect with other people. And therefore, we lose our perspective. And we it listen is literally to that. It is literally that. It is like a self-perpetuating cycle that you just stay in. And I think a lot of people, if they haven't been depressed before, or if they're far away from an episode that they've perhaps had in the past, we forget that from the outside, depression looks like, especially in a child, maybe they're sad or withdrawn. But when you're in that experience of depression, and I've been there, it's not necessarily this sadness. Yeah, you feel sadness. But it's more like an emptiness, a numbness. So where the feeling should be, there is a void and you feel hopeless, and you primarily feel helpless to make any change to that hopelessness, right? So the things that used to be fun, they're not fun anymore. The things that were your hobbies, those friends that you connected with, it doesn't seem like that's going to put anything into that emptiness. And so your energy just drops. Everything feels hard. You can feel physically in pain, and nothing really seems like it's worth the effort. So like you said, the depression talking to you, if we can think about it as a character is saying, why even go out, right? Why even go exercise? Why even go do something that was a hobby before? Because it's not worth it. You're just going to be empty. Yeah. And I think what I know I get into this personally is that rather than deal with the depression, what I try to do, what I've tried to do in the past is rather than confront it, I try to make myself comfortable around the depression. In other words, 
I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to talk to people, but I will watch television or I will have food and I'll stuff my feelings or I'll try to make myself as comfortable as I can be, but hold on to the depression. And I think what happens is when you're around community, I grew up in a neighborhood where people actually walk down the street with their bathrobes on. And what I mean by that is it was a working class neighborhood. I'm not kidding. You took a walk in the neighborhood to take a walk. You could be as you were in the public and not be ashamed of it because people were just around other people all the time. Mm. And there was no special thing that you had to do. You didn't have to look good to be around other people. You were around your family all the time. And of course, you resented that sometimes. It was too much sometimes. But there were always people around you. Therefore, there was nothing that you could do to isolate from them. If you tried to isolate from somebody in those days, they were standing right there. (laughs) So it's kind of like you had to deal with people. And I feel like it's a bad combination, this depression and the isolation of the way the world is right now that you actually can close a door and not have to see people. You can go on Facebook and not have to see people. So, yeah, so you're, anyway. you're saying before, you know, so back in the day, basically you wouldn't be allowed to close your door because that's just not the way the community worked. At some point you would be out on the street or there would be other people, but now it is much easier and totally socially acceptable to go hide in your cave, to go yeah, crawl under very, your covers, it, to go to your go-to. And absolutely what you're saying resonates so much with me that your dysfunction becomes your comfort zone. It's like, oh yeah, depression's my thing. I know how to do it, right? I know how yeah. to be empty. I know how to go out and fake it and pretend like I'm okay and then come home and completely withdraw from everything and not want to talk about it and just not want to share my feelings of lack of feeling because I would always look at my parents when I was experiencing it as a kid and think there's no way that you will be able to understand what I'm experiencing. So I'm not even going to share it with you because that's my shield. That's my thing. I get to be dysfunctional in my own way. And at some point, I had been so depressed that I didn't even want it to change. If you understand what I mean, I knew that there was a path probably to not being this way, but it's all I knew for long periods of time. And so I was comfortable being extremely uncomfortable and unhealthy. Totally understand it. I totally hear what you're saying. I totally relate to it. It is the thing that keeps you in the depression. And it is the way that you adapt to depression as opposed to come out of it. And I think that's the way with a lot of different emotions. Depression is a big one. Sadness, you know, well, not sadness, really. Depression is this thing that takes over and you do not remember what it's like to feel good. You do not remember. It's like you've never felt it before. There's no goal to get to feeling better. The goal is to survive the depression by comforting yourself in some way that keeps the depression going. But I think the hope in all of this is that no matter what is going on with you, there are certain things that you can do, even small changes that you can make that can create a complete sea change in your life. And so I'd like to talk about some of those. What do you think? That's great. Yeah, that's great. This is, and this is really, you know, this is where the show is a little bit different is that we talk about what you can do 
and practical things that you can actually practice. So trust us, I, Ed and I could probably talk about how bad depression feels for the entire time. We've been there, but yeah, we're going to give you some actionables. Yeah. So if I'm a parent and I'm dealing with my child, with my teen, or with myself, what are some of the things that I can do? What are some of the simple things that I can do? Let's talk about them a little bit, and then we can actually practice it. Okay, so I want to talk about this idea of learned helplessness so that we can talk about learned optimism as well. So learned helplessness is a theory that was put forth by Martin Seligman, who is often called the father of positive psychology. So this is years and years ago when he was studying depression. And this is what he found, that when a human feels that they don't have control over what happens to them, they begin to think and feel and act like they're helpless. So let me give you an example of a type of an experiment that he would run. He would bring people in and he would tell them that they were coming in to do a, you know, a psychological test and they were to solve a puzzle and he would put them in a small room and they'd be working on a puzzle and then an alarm would go off. Okay, and a really annoying, loud alarm that was irritating. And there was a button in the room and the button clearly said, like, turn the alarm off and people would push this button. Now, for some people, when they push the button, the alarm would go off. For other people, when they push the button, nothing would happen. You know, like the button was broken. So what would they eventually do? They would stop pushing the button and just listen to the annoying alarm. So what he found is that in this phenomenon called learned helplessness, that you're not born believing that you don't have control over your life and what happens, right? This is a learned behavior, a conditioned response that happens through experience. And what you come to believe is that nothing that you do is going to make an effect on your life. So whether that be no matter how hard I study, I'm never going to get good grades. No matter what I do, I'm never going to be socially accepted or popular. I don't have any agency or free will or ability to influence the poor circumstances in my life. And when you start to believe those things, that leads to depression. So what can your kids do simply, right? So what's a first step when you have this feeling of helplessness? Well, it's first to figure out what you have control over in your life. So I like to do with kids a really simple circle exercise where I say, listen, grab a piece of paper, draw two circles, draw a little circle, and then draw a bigger one around that. And inside the smaller circle, write all the things in your life that you have control over. So this could be, you know, it could be anything because the idea is to start brainstorming. I have control over the clothes that I wear. I have control over what I have for breakfast in the morning. I have control over what I say to other people, right? I have control over my reaction when someone makes me angry. So you start to write down all the things that are in your control. And then in the outer circle, right, or outside the little circle, you write all the things that are out of your control. And again, it can be really benign things like the weather, for example, maybe out of your control, right? And what other people's actions are and reactions are to you maybe out of your control. And then you begin to focus on the things that are in your control. Just being aware of what's in your control gives you perceived control and can really help you to start overcoming that feeling of helplessness. Yeah, that is really interesting. And again, what you're doing with that exercise is you're bringing awareness. So 
just bringing awareness to what's going on. What's happening to me right now? How am I feeling? How am I doing? Something that you would ask someone else, we need to ask ourselves. And whether you're, if you're a parent, you ask your child. And if you're a kid, you can ask yourself these questions. Parents, too. We all have to check in with ourselves to see what's going on. And that's step one. That right away, you're way ahead of the game if you're doing that because you're spending time making a conscious choice. And that's where all these things come from. All these practices come from conscious choices that that you make. Another conscious (sighs) choice that you could help your child with, and this one's hard, you know, we're not saying that these things are easy. We're just saying bring them into your awareness and there's no one size fits all. But exercise is huge. Exercise is huge. Weren't you telling me something about your dad, Ed? Can you share that with us? Yeah, absolutely. Well, my dad was a very interesting guy. He had a lot of depression when he was a kid, and he was a sickly kid. And he read in a comic book that you could send away for a Charles Atlas weight set. And so he got these weights. And from the time he was 14 years old until really the time he passed away, he died when he was like in his mid, late 80s. He lifted weights and he exercised. In fact, that was his antidote. That was the way that he dealt with life. And that's the way he dealt with depression specifically. When he went over on the Normandy invasion, he had in his duffel bag two 40-pound dumbbells of extra weight. And I said, Dad, that's insane having extra weight on a boat going over for the Normandy invasion for World War II. And he said, I had to have them. Where am I going to work out? I had to work out. So there's a guy who's going off to war and he's continuing to fight depression and to have a relationship with depression. But exercise is an enormous part of dealing with any mental health issue, but specifically depression. That is an unbelievable story. So we know all of the benefits, right, of exercise. So depression makes you lethargic. You feel tired and exercise gives you energy and vitality. Depression messes with your sleep patterns. So if you've ever been depressed and you either want to sleep a lot or you can't sleep at all, it brings you to extremes. Well, exercise can improve your sleep, right? Depression, it really just brings havoc on your eating and your appetite. You're either eating too little or you're eating too much in a lot of processed foods. I'm a person that eats a lot when I get depressed. Exercise improves your appetite. So there's just so many benefits to it. And depression keeps you isolated. Like we talked about before, exercise can bring you out to connect in the world. Even if your goal is to do one push-up, right, as a family, like that's all we're going to do today, or that's all we're going to do every day for a week, then that is your goal. I think the goal should be set so small. If you guys are struggling with this with your child to get them to move their body, because moving the body can change the mind. We can't really understate it. So that's a big one right there. And then I think maybe we could do some role play here. Let's get ready to role play. I can just be the voice of depression and you can talk to me. Okay. Okay. So I'm the voice of depression now. I don't want to do anything. I don't want you to get up. I don't want you to call other people. I don't want you to leave this house. Okay. You are not okay. You are not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to get up. I'm not okay. I'm a wreck. 
that's fine. I'm just going to, you know what, I'm going to call in sick and who really cares? No one's going to miss me anyway. And you're right. I'm just, I hear you voice. What's the Don't. point? No one will even miss me. No one you will can even never miss me. have anything that you want. You will never have anything that you want. You will never be able to be with friends and have money and do all the things that you want to do. That's really never going to happen. And I have to tell you something too. You're very tired. Oh, you I'm really so need to rest. I'm just going to accept rest. this. This is like my lot in life, you know? I mean, oh yeah. God, I'm so exhausted. I'm just, just going to go to sleep. Just, yeah, please just lay down. Okay. Just lay down. Put on the TV, please. Oh, I don't know Immediately. Put TV, on the TV. phone, thank yeah. you. Binge watch whatever you want to watch. But 13 hours, 15 hours, I don't care what it is. You're not going out. Oh, that's relief. No, no, you're not going out. Thank you. Yeah, you're not, you're not okay. You're not a good person. I'm not okay. I know I'm not a good person. Just shut up. Shut up. Shut up. I know it already. I know. It's never. I know. No, never I know. No. Stop. Yeah. Stop. You're never going to feel bad for a long time. Stop yeah. it. You're just always going to feel badly. Ugh. Always. That's just who you are. It's just what it is. Never going to change. Okay, that's what goes on, right? That's an internal that's monologue. Depression... That is you talking to yourself, essentially, with yeah. the separation between the voice of depression and your authentic voice. That's what we were role-playing just now. Okay, so now we're going to use some tools, and we're going to actually relate to the depression, be conscious about it, make some choices, use some tools. So this is take two on depression. I'll be the voice again of depression. I was nominated for the Depressy Awards. Um, I'll be that. I'll do it. I'm happy to the do it. The only nomination, and I will be handing out the award. You win. Wouldn't it I be depressing if you were I... the only nominee and you still lost? Yeah, I didn't go because I couldn't get out of bed. Uh, that was the problem. But now I'll be that, and Rini will use some techniques and some choices. Do you want to tell them what you're going to do, or you just want to jump into it? Let's jump in, and then we'll talk about it. Okay, good. Okay. Okay. Round two. Do not get up. Do not get out of bed. I hear you. You cannot do it. There you are again. I hear you, you brain. Yeah. Awful. Oh, you look. are a sad person. You don't you there's not there's something wrong with you. You will never be good enough mm-hmm. to, to be with other people and you really should stay away. It's always gonna be this way. Okay. That is Mr. Depresso. Talking in my brain again, Mr. Depresso, like Nespresso, but Depresso. And listen, I get that it's a voice that plays in my head. You're playing a record over and over again. Hi, thank you for visiting. But listen, I'm I'm not going to do that, okay? I'm not going to lie down. And I understand what you're saying. I hear you, but you can be on your way. I kind of don't really feel like it. But guess what? I just realized I don't have to feel like it. I'm going to get up anyway, even though I don't feel like it. So what do you think about that, Depresso? Well, you got to turn on the TV. What are you, where, where are you going? Just turn on the TV. It's so easy. Stay here. It's too much of an effort to go over there. You're going you're gonna to get up. You're going to get an effort. You're going to drive all the way across town. That's what you're going to do now? Listen, you can't Depresso. do that. I know. You can't do it. I get it. 
And guess what? You don't have power over me anymore because I've heard your story before and it's not accurate and you're trying to keep me this way. And so uh, this is what I realized. I don't have to listen to you. You can come and visit. I'm not going to stop you. But I need you to be with me. Mm. I need you to stay with me. You can say what you want. Stay with me. Go ahead. I know you need a voice. Go ahead. You're sad. You're a sad person. Mm. You can never be with other people. It's never going to change. Oh, Mr. Depresso. Don't even try. I feel sad for you. You really need to get your voice heard. You really need to get it out, right? You really need to say those things. But I'm strong. I have strength inside of me. Okay? And so why don't you say what you have to say and be on your way? I can't. I can't do this. You can't do this anymore. You can't go out. You can't do it. You okay. can't connect to other people. You're you're awful. You're horrible. You, listen, it's never going to work out for you. You know that. It's never going to work out for us. I hear We're what you're gonna saying. We're never going to feel differently. We're depressed. I hear you. You're unhappy. And you know what it sounds like? Where are you like? going? You have a lot to say. So what I'm going to do is instead I'm going to write all of those thoughts down and I'm going to let them come out and then we're just, I'm going to wish you well and on your way. So that way your voice is heard. Okay. I'm going to write them all down and then I'm going to go on my way. Thank you. Thank you, brain. So let's talk about what just happened. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I noticed that you're not running away from it. You're listening to it and giving it the floor. Mm -hmm. Why? Because what we know about thought suppression is that it doesn't work. There was a very famous study done on a white bear. We've talked about the study in a couple of episodes, but it's important. So I'm just going to bring it up again, where they asked people to talk about their stream of consciousness out loud. And they asked a group of people while they're doing this not to think about a white bear. They told them explicitly, don't think about a white bear. And every time you do ring this bell, well, the group that was told not to think about the bear rung the bell constantly, right? What we know is that you can't suppress those thoughts. And the depressive thoughts are inaccurate, they're exaggerated, they're catastrophic. So a technique that we use when it comes to any emotion is a technique that you saw in the movie Inside Out, if you've seen it, where they personify, like I was saying, Mr. Depresso, right? So make depression or any emotion that you're dealing with a character and allow them to have the floor. Because if you resist it, it's just going to come up louder and it's going to come up in other ways, or you're going to try to numb it by taking the emotional edge off, by watching TV or doing whatever distracts you, but it's not going away. So allow it to have a voice, but know and be self-aware that this voice is inaccurate, that it's exaggerated, that it's catastrophic, and that you are yourself is an essence within you is this strong light being. Okay, You are a strong person and the essence of you are your strengths, your character, your light, all of those things. And depression is just a feeling that comes and goes. It's not who you are, which is why you're stepping up. And I know this seems a little esoteric, but get, trust me, I work with kids ages five, six and seven and they can do this. They can talk to a character and remember it's not who they are. It's just a feeling. So then what we did was we talked as our authentic, strong self saying, listen, I hear what you're saying. I don't really believe you anymore. And you can say it if you want to, but then you have to go because I'm going to do my own thing. Did that okay, make sense? So 
Ed, can you be yeah. can can you be objectively tell us whether you think that that makes sense and that kids will be able to use it? And I will be able to well, give you more tips if not. I think it does make sense, and I think the kids can use it. I think it's more difficult for adults actually, but I think for I think kids can access that part of themselves because they're closer to it than adults are. I think for adults, if you're a parent who's de- experiencing depression, I think that you the same techniques work. I just think you need a lot more permission from yourself to do that. Kids are closer to it. They're closer to that part of themselves. But anyway, I I do think that it makes sense. I think that that part is in there all the time. And when you do things like the technique that you just used or what is in my control, what is not in my control, what, you know, that's a real good one too to access. I also think you're not your thoughts and you're not your feelings. So therefore you can listen and give it space and actually let it talk. Yes, and that. And that is it. You let it talk. But in order to do that, you have to teach kids the basic technique of being aware of their thoughts, that you have thousands and thousands and thousands of thoughts. And I find when working with kids that one thing that's really easy for them is just a visualization of thought bubbles above their head. And they can even draw this in cartoon format. You know, it can be a stick figure with a bunch of thought bubbles above their head and writing out the thoughts that are going through their head. Because the role play that we just did, we were talking back to our thoughts. It was thought to thought, essentially. And so this can be done in written form, too. And that's easier for kids to access sometimes. And if they're really little and they can't write yet, then it can be done with visuals. But I think one other thing that is coming to me as well is is the ability to make decisions when you are depressed is hampered, inhibited. I don't know if you remember this from times in your life, Ed, when you've experienced depression, but it becomes hard to make decisions. You become really indecisive. This is a hallmark of depression. And so one thing that you can do, which sounds kind of silly, is to make decisions. Start to make little decisions, whether that be what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to go, you know, what time you're going to do something, what priority you're going to set. Deciding things creates perceived control, right? And one of the things that happens when we're depressed is we just are looking at all the decisions and we become confused because we want to make the best decision and we don't know what that is. And so it creates anxiety for us. So just choose good enough, even if the decision is not feeling right in the moment, because the feeling system of your brain is really overwhelming the thinking system of your brain. But to get back in control with that thinking system, you can make decisions, small decisions. Yeah. And I think we talked about this for, for another issue, but what's the smallest action you can take? Make any small decision take any small action. Action begets action. I mean, that's not incredible psychology, but that is a thing. Making a decision, taking an action, and just going going forward, just going through with it. Now, before we end, mm-hmm. I and this may be, we may do, have to do another show on depression. Yeah, wait, I but, have but, more but, tips. But is, you need to get sunlight. Yeah. You need to remember that change is possible. You can practice gratitude, you know, and that sounds, when you're depressed, if someone comes to you and says, let's think about three good things, your kids might cringe. So you need to find the right place of connection. But it turns out that gratitude can actually reduce suicidal ideation, right? It can really, really change that feeling of hopelessness and helplessness. So find a way to get a gratitude practice into your life and 
remember one thing that depression doesn't let you remember, that this too shall pass, that feelings come and go and they're temporary, that this is not as stable a state as you feel like it is, right? And then one more thing that I want to talk about is if you're not having a good time right now, I'm not talking about listening to this podcast because, of course, you're having a good time listening to us. Of course you are. Of course you are. I'm talking about if you don't have a memory, right, of a recent memory of something that you can savor, you can actually remember something from the past, even if it was the far past. What we know is if you've had a good time in the past, you can actually use your memory to release endorphins and really experience that good time again. You can think back to a time where you had a pleasurable experience, experienced positive emotions, had a good memory, basically, and you can sit and reminisce about that. And that can actually have a change in your brain and your physiology. Can you just tell them about the gratitude exercise, the 20 seconds? Yes. So it takes, you know, fractions of a second for something negative that happens to you to make an imprint psychologically. But it can take between 15 to 20 seconds to really make an imprint of something good. So you actually have to practice savoring, right? When something good happens to you, we're so easy to say, okay, next, you know, we need to move on. Someone gives you a pat on the back or, you know, you receive a compliment or something good happens. Whatever you perceive to be good, you need to take time to stop and look, these are the pieces of wisdom that have been passed over time to us, which is to take time and smell the roses. Why do people say that? Because your brain actually needs time to acknowledge it and embed it as a memory. So you need to stop. You can, you know, put your hand over your heart if you want to. It's actually a self-soothing exercise. Either your left hand or your right hand, whatever feels better to you. You can put your other hand on your belly and you can take a deep breath. Ed, can you do that for me? And breathe out. And remember something amazing that's happened to you, whether recently or in the past. And take 15 to 20 seconds to do that, and that can create a little shift in your life. And it is the little shifts that can create a ripple effect and pull you out of what you're going through. That is a very powerful thing that you can do. And it doesn't take long. It takes 20 seconds. It doesn't take long. So you can do it in any time. The other thing, you know, I would say, too, is just talking about it. One of the big things for me is I used to isolate a lot. And one day I ran into a guy who had the same habits as I did. And I found out because I told him I was in an improv class and I said, do you hide when you don't feel good? Because that's what I do. I don't answer the phone. I don't go out. I don't do that. He said, really? Me too. What else do you do? And all of a sudden it was this freedom. It was like, oh, maybe I'm not crazy. Talk about it. Tell somebody. Anybody. If you're a kid, tell your parent. If you're a kid, tell another kid. If you're a parent, tell your spouse. Talk about it. Hey, Ed, can you talk about how they can tell us too? They can send us clips to the Dear Anxiety Show? I don't remember. No, I do. I do. If you want to submit an issue, a struggle, maybe it's depression, maybe it's some other issue, you can do that by having your, by recording it on your phone and actually sending it to gozen gozen.com forward slash dear anxiety d-e-a-r 
A-N-X-I-E-T-Y, the word, gozen.com slash Dear Anxiety. Send it to us. We want to play it and we want to hear from you. Also, please subscribe. We've had some great reviews. People have been really kind. Thank you, guys. And they've listened. Yeah, you guys have been great listening, and please keep listening. But subscribe. You can go on iTunes. You can find us at bit.ly bit.ly forward slash Dear Anxiety. Bit.ly forward slash Dear Anxiety on iTunes. And Rini, thanks for doing this. You're... Uh, Next time, I'm going to, instead of inter- introducing you, I'm going to talk about how I feel about you and, and all the amazing skills that you have and what you do for, for so many other people, not only people all over the world, but your family. We have another clip, and thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, everyone. Struggling with something like your emotions can feel so overwhelming and be such a, a big obstacle. I think that talking about it for one is huge. Being able to accept that that's something you've gone through and may, and understand that you may have to, that you may go through it again. It wasn't a choice and that stuff can easily be misunderstood too, right? Like people will see someone isolating and think, oh, they just don't care. You're struggling with something that maybe you haven't felt comfortable enough to confront on your own or with other people, which is totally normal. And anytime you feel that darkness and that the feelings are overwhelming and just to know that that the feelings will pass and that if they're if they're if you're having a more difficult time helping them pass than you're used to, that reaching out and talking and sharing are always options and that those options are never going to go anywhere. Having a emotional outlet like like art or writing or music or any any sort of creative way to express yourself especially when you're feeling dark feelings is incredible and it'll always be a part of you you'll always be an artist and you'll never that'll never change and it's never going to be taken away from you